0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions, and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have Dr. Daniel Evans with us. Those who know Dan best will tell you that he will do anything to help children. He has committed his life to that cause, especially when it comes to children of poverty. Maybe that's because Dan was that type of kid, and somehow, with the help of teachers and mentors, he made it out. Dan has had a long and accomplished career as an educator, helping thousands of children along the way. He is an award-winning teacher, school principal, consultant and trainer in one of the nation's largest and most innovative school district. He is the creator of an engaging school leadership blog, InstructionalSoul.com, and the author of a book titled The Instructional Soul, which pushes the boundaries of school reform and leadership for a new generation. He currently serves as the Executive Director for Assessment, Accountability, and Research for his school district in the Tampa Bay region on Florida's west coast. Dan has dedicated himself to impacting and reimagining schools as we know them. That will require bold, young leaders to step forward on behalf of children. His innovative ideas for schools of the future are outlined in his new book, The Instructional Soul. Welcome, Dr. Daniel Evans. How are you?
1: I am doing great, and uh, I'm excited to be with you, Lily, for your podcast. I much appreciate what you do to celebrate and investigate leadership and leadership styles and leaders, and I'm just excited to be here.
0: I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you. Are you ready to pour into our listeners?
1: I absolutely am.
0: Let's go. Okay, so can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now?
1: Well, it's interesting because it's a bit circuitous and I don't think I ever intended to lead. Lily, I was somebody who grew up as a the son of a steel mill worker in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and learned how to work hard and throughout some uh, struggles in my childhood, I learned how to turn to my reading and writing and I became sort of fascinated by writing as a sort of a a way to express my thoughts and feelings and all that, and that led to me becoming a journalist for a short time, and most of the time that I was a working newspaper journalist, I was good at coaching others to write better and express their thoughts and emotions and all those things, so that led me to become a teacher, and I think that was my way of serving others, and through that, my thoughts and my servant leadership style developed there, and that resonated with other folks. I have been in education now for 25 years. I've been in every role there really is as an assistant principal and as a high school principal, principal of my alma mater, which is kind of a turnaround school, and now I serve the district as the executive director of our research and data division, and I just finished a new book I've written because in my Spare time, which I don't have a lot of. I study <laughs> systems theory and school leadership and where it's all going. And so I keep busy with all of that. So that's my short version of my long journey.
0: So you've come full circle. You started this journey writing. And it's funny you
1: mentioned that. Yes, I guess it's true. It never left me, Lily, and I like to write, and I would say in my spare time creatively, right. and decide that the way I could give back to our industry is to write a book and blog and get on podcasts and give back to young leaders who I think will lead our industry to new heights.
0: Now, you said that your style is servant leadership. Why does that type of leadership resonate with you?
1: I think a lot of people mention servant leadership because they like to think that we are here to help others. And that's certainly one of the reasons.
0: But I think I like to
1: celebrate other people and their successes more than my own, really. And I love coaching people. And that's the teacher in me, I think. But to me, that means authentic. Lily, I think we lack that sometimes in leadership. And that's just authentic, real I am who I present myself to be, and I think others would describe me that way, and that's what I mean by servant leadership.
0: Now, are there quotes that speak to you?
1: Many, many, many. (laughs) I I guess I would speak to a Gandhi quote that comes up all the time on the internet, and, and I know I blog about it and write about it in my stuff, and that's the quote where he said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And I think in our industry and in all industries, I think you have to be bold enough to keep fighting the good fight, even if they laugh at you. Mm. Because in the end, and if you keep fighting, you will win. In my example, my industry, we're, I'm winning. We're winning on behalf of children. So there's a lot at stake out there. So I think that's a quote that resonates with me.
0: Fantastic. Now, tell us about a leader who inspires you.
1: I wouldn't actually say my father. Um We had a typical father-son relationship, which means we had some great times and then some tough times, but he taught me so many things that I use today. So while I am inspired by many, many leaders, first of all, I think anybody can lead with or without a title, Mm -hmm. and some of the most inspiring people around me don't have a title. I mentioned in my book, and I brought up to people before that my dad taught me lots of lessons, and one I mentioned in my book is, don't dust around the vase. I remember getting up every Saturday morning, felt like my whole life, and had to clean my room and clean the house. And I had certain chores. And one of them was to dust. Mm -hmm. And he taught me to not dust around the vase, that you pick up the vase, you dust under the vase, and you do it all right. You don't cut corners. And that's the sort of work ethic that I think he taught me. So when I think of a leader, I went first to my dad.
0: You're right. Yeah, I think it's thorough we, in whatever we do.
1: And I think we look for shortcuts and we yeah. get busy and I think when his, you know, message to me was don't dust around the vase, it just meant to me never cut corners even when no one's looking mm. and I try to keep that in mind.
0: Perfect. Now you mentioned your book. Tell us a bit about it and where can we find it?
1: It is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble and uh, wherever you go and find your books and your booksellers. Published by Roman and Littlefield, an academic press out of Maryland. And it really was intended, interestingly enough, to be a textbook. That was what I considered at first. But now I think I've made it a lot more practical and relatable for the practitioner in the field of education. The title of the book is The Instructional Soul.
0: Ooh, I love that.
1: I play off the soul metaphor a lot, and I have reasons for that, which we can get into or folks will discover in the book. But The Instructional Soul, Leading Schools, with the spirit of innovation, but it really just talks a little in short about how schools need to change and adapt to be viable for the next century. And -hmm. it calls on young leaders to take us to places that we presently have maybe never even considered. So that's the book and I love folks to read it, but really it's my way of giving back to young leaders and young leadership in this industry of education.
0: And I love how you talk about the instructional soul and being adaptable. There is so much in the future that we don't know. But if we help students to become leaders of themselves, they'll be able to face any future that comes at them. So you're speaking to my heart, Dan. I appreciate that. Yeah,
1: I'll add one thing about that. Not just in the book, in my daily life, in my interaction with folks like yourself, I think the future of our schools will truly empower teachers and students. Not just giving them voice by giving them project-based learning and all those things which I believe in wholeheartedly and authentic learning. But what would schools look like as students really we're running a lot of what we do or at least directing the work mm-hmm. under obviously the auspices of adults who need to supervise obviously to some degree. Teachers as well. So somewhere along the way we've lost that in our industry and I think we can recapture that and re-energize our school systems.
0: But well, one of the things that we do need to face in looking at that is how we're fearful of the change or fearful of failure.
1: You're correct. That's why I think it's unfair to blame leaders. Mm-hmm. I mean I am here offering solutions for what this all might look like in the future. And yet I'm in the system. So I am the system. Mm -hmm. And so I have contributed to what now is a system that has gotten much better. I'm talking about the school systems over the past 20 years, but still has so much room to grow. So I don't think we can beat ourselves up over it. Our leaders are great. They're well-meaning. We just have to now push forward and push past that fear.
0: Right. And it takes people like yourself stepping up and having these kinds of conversations. Okay. So Dan, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: I can't get past my high school English teacher who at the time helped me to grow up and at a time where I was a typical high school kid who wasn't ready to grow up. And so I think back on her, she and I still communicate with each other and she's special to me. Mm -hmm. But at the time I was not only directionless, like a typical teenager, but I was sort of a goofball and didn't take myself and didn't take much seriously. And she said to me, you know, I know you want to be a leader. I can see it in you, but no one's going to take you seriously. You have to work hard. You have to build credibility. So to this day, I've tried to outwork people or I try to work hard. And a lot of my talks I give, I talk about we have to be credible before we can be incredible. And I think people try to shortcut that.
0: Hold on. Is that your quote?
1: I don't know. I'm writing that down. You can use that. But it's true. I I just think that we have to, as leaders, as people, really, really know what we're talking about, work hard, do our homework, Mm. and then we can be incredible. So she taught me all of that, and I think that's what resonates with me all these years later.
0: I love it. Be credible before you can be incredible. Fantastic. Okay. So Dan, you've risen through the ranks in education. I'm sure you've encountered good and not so good teams. Yes, Um, ma'am. So what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain? one?
1: Well, first of all, I think you have to value the people on the team. Again, we're back to servant leadership. I think that in every team, I've been a high school principal and had a staff of over a hundred. Right now I have a staff of 15 in the district office. And of course, I work for my bosses, who I have great respect for, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I think building that team begins with valuing the people on the team. And I think the second thing I'd say is to stand for something. What are we really trying to accomplish? And by the way, while we're all competing for the same talent pool, which is probably how a lot of folks might answer that question, go get the best people and assemble them into a team. I certainly agree with that. But I think you have to value people and stand for something. And when you do that, the best people will come to join that cause. Mm -hmm. And by the way, along the way, I would probably say, I would love to see my folks be promoted. And that's certainly something I would encourage. But Mm -hmm. we certainly don't want to lose great people who are on our teams, because we can't afford to. And I think the folks that worked for me would say that they felt valued as a team member or at least I attempted to get
0: there. You're so spot on to value those around us. Is certainly something a good leader does. But I can't help but going back to when you first started off, you said that you coached others. That's correct. Now, do you find that that experience of coaching others helps you as a leader? Absolutely.
1: Even though I've just written a book, it's a great danger because it's a little bit like you wrote a book as if, I have all the answers or something. And so I think one of the first things to say to folks who you're working with is, I don't have the answers, but I've been working long enough in my industry to at least know the questions. And so I know, and young leaders don't know this yet, the questions that they're gonna face and how I tackled those or how to help them think about tackling those, and that's coaching. Mm -hmm. So whether my son plays baseball, and I coached him in Little League Baseball for many, many years. So whether I'm teaching him to throw a curveball, or I'm teaching my team to impact instructional change in schools, or I'm teaching a teenager how to write an essay, which I did for a lot of years as an English teacher, Mm -hmm. I think coaching and teaching are related to empowering those folks to find their path and not imposing our will or my thoughts on them, that's not going to get them anywhere. So I think that is part of valuing folks and building a great team is for them to see you as their lead coach or facilitator. I, at least I attempt to be that way.
0: You know, coaching, although it's been around for a long time, it's fairly right. new in education.
1: It is. And I don't know that we do it well yet, Lily. I will tell you. Uh,
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us. Tell I, us. Uh,
1: we have a lot of folks who have the title of a coach. Right. I don't know that they yet have the skills of a coach and I'm talking about coaching leaders. Uh, We also have math coaches and reading coaches and coaches of teachers. But I would say to you that one of the things, not absent in our profession, but a growth area in our profession is how we coach young leaders to be great and uh, that is a challenge that I look forward to facing along with folks like you, because we're not there yet.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. So, <laughs> but again, conversations like this, people don't know what they don't know.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's why I thank you again for doing the work that you do. And quite frankly, it's why I wrote a book. I mean, I don't blame the young leaders for not leading. I blame those who brought them through the system and not expected them to lead. And I think that they're following a lot more than leading. I think they're not asking the right questions all the time even though they're good-hearted and well-meaning and i think if we can help them i would love to have that be a legacy of folks who've been in the industry a little bit longer
0: all right dan we have a lot of work to do
1: we do yes (laughs) ma'am
0: all right so can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life
1: i always go to my childhood again i think we're shaped by our childhood so while I have daily work challenges, the biggest challenge in my life was some of the struggles I had as a youth and how that shaped me today. One being my mother died when I was very young, took mm-hmm. me a lot of years to talk about it. Oh, wow. What it meant was that I was raised by a single father
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I've already given him kudos and props in our interview here mm-hmm. to my dad, but being raised by a single dad in sort of a blue collar environment. We didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of friends at that moment. So what ended up happening was I was sort of isolated and I was sort of like a bit of a loner for a while until I sorted through that. And so books and writing, as I mentioned, became my way out, helping other people. So I think those early childhood struggles at the time that I never thought I would get through and get over has made me a much more approachable, well-rounded leader and adult. And I can appreciate that now all these years later.
0: I appreciate you sharing that because I think you know it's part of your authenticity and being real and it's something that we have to keep practicing talking about our past because I wholeheartedly agree that our childhood and how we were raised really influences our thinking and we don't talk about that enough I just had this conversation with someone we are on this kick to teach social emotional skills right because it is important then that's what the research says but it's almost impossible to teach social emotional skills, which to me are leadership skills, if you don't embody that.
1: <laughs> I certainly agree. I love that comment you just made, and I couldn't agree more. I'm a big believer in intentionally teaching soft skills or whatever we're calling the 21st I mean, we're century call, skills. We're not
0: calling it soft skills. We're changing I, that, Dan. I know. I heard. I heard. So
1: <laughs> call it whatever you want, but all I right. think the kids, the kids need, we right. all need, to learn to be creative and confident and give kids experiences along those lines. Mm -hmm. And so that might be our way of changing the way we view schools. And I think that's another growth area for us that I also write about in the book. And I think it's a very, very intriguing next step for us.
0: We can all grow together. I mean, we can teach social emotional skills as long as we're open to growth ourselves. That's the key.
1: Authenticity once again. yes,
0: Yes. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Master Leadership at Schools podcast program will help prepare your students for any future they encounter. Teachers and students learn effective leadership and podcasting skills to create a platform that's an incubator for leadership, innovation, collaboration, and creativity. See this in action at masterleadership.org forward slash MLS and find out how to bring this to your organization. That's masterleadership.org forward slash MLS. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes?
1: I would say that, Lily, no matter what happens in my career, the height of my career will always be when I became the principal of my alma mater. At a time when my school, my school needed my help. And so the chance to become the principal of that school, sort of a blue collar, great high school in Florida, where I was that kid. It was an amazing experience. I was the principal there for five years. In Florida, we have a grading system, right, where schools are ranked and all those sort of things. And this school was considered in turnaround status. And they asked me, they said, hey, we need some help. And I was becoming a first-time principal. And I said, well, obviously, I would like to become the principal of my alma mater. And to go in there with that teaching staff and those kids and make that school a lot better a lot more focused it wasn't broken there was nothing wrong with the school we just needed a little direction a little excitement and it was just very very powerful experience for me the school ended up coming out of what we call our accountability system or turnaround system and all of our data points were at their highest points at that point that had been in many many years but more important than that the kids love going there the teachers like teaching there And I'm very proud of the work that we did there. I was promoted after that to a district job. And I love my work now. I think my time at my alma mater will always be my most cherished memory.
0: Just listening to how much you love that position and what happened there and the success that you experienced. We have listeners that are first-time principals or are in turnaround schools. What's some of the first things that they can do to help them to be successful there?
1: You know, I will say that, first of all, thank you to anybody who works in a turnaround school environment. Those who don't work in those environments are just not aware of the toll that it takes, especially on leaders. I'm going to say to you that being a principal of a school is the hardest job in education. And I think I've had them all. It is so taxing. I think the first advice I would have for leaders is self-care and to make sure that they don't burn out by listening to too many voices of know-it-alls who think that they know their school better than they do. So that's one. Two, trust your instincts. That's sort of related to number one about self-care. Do a few things well. We read a lot about quick wins in schools. I think that's great advice. Mm -hmm. We have to find a way to find success immediately so kids and parents and teachers can rally around that success. So find two or three things that you believe in that you think you can move the needle on focus on that, and then try to tackle other things. So not trying to do too many things at one time. Those are some things I would think about if I was first stepping into a
0: building. And how important is it to find a good coach?
1: Well, critical. We've talked about Mm -hmm. coaching. I mean, I think one of the things that I sort of took on in my own role, and I believe by the way, that principals must be instructional leaders. We can debate the definition for that, but one definition is, you have to know curriculum and instruction, great teaching and learning yourself, and be able to coach others. But you cannot impact the entire staff that way. So surrounding yourself with other people who can coach your teachers. And of course, if you can find a mentor coach of your own, or at least somebody you can lean on, those folks helped me a great deal in the tough days. And I'm telling you, there were many, many tough days.
0: And I, that's vital. So, Dan, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you, and what are you learning now?
1: Well, I think, first of all, I'm still a learner. I don't have all the answers in any way, shape, or form. I'm searching answers like the rest of us. I do think I have the questions more refined. I know what we're trying to do as an industry. I know where I'm trying to go as an educator. I know where I'm trying to go as a leader of others in education. So I think figuring out first what I stand for and I believe in is critical to me focusing my own learning. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, right now, I talk about systems theory or complexity theory. What I try to learn a lot about is how small decisions can impact large change negatively or positively. So every decision, every interaction impacts every other decision and interaction and all things are connected. So A lot of my learning, and I would encourage others outside of education, to read things that aren't about education or from educators. I read a lot of books about business and leadership and business and industry, but also spirituality, science, physics. How things are connected to other things is something that I find really intriguing. And so that's where my area of growth is right now, is to think about how other industries can impact ours because for the most part in education, I've been in it a long time and I've read all the books. I mean, I know education pretty well, but I think how other industries could help us learn about our own is sort of my area of growth.
0: And along those lines, what books have you read oh that goodness. our listeners should read as well?
1: I guess I'll mention something related to what I just articulated, and then I'll give you an off-the-wall one. Most of my readings are in systems theory, and most of the popular books folks know. I've read many of them. Someone's work that has impacted me nearly the most, I think, is Fritov Capra. Fritov Capra is a physicist. He's doing great. He's still, even though he's in his 80s now, is still doing great and pushing our thinking forward. He is in Berkeley, California, and I've read all of his books. His latest book on systems theory, Working in Systems, is a great book. And But what he tries to do is what I just articulated. I quote him in my own book, and I'm inspired by his words. And so he talks a lot about how we need to learn about ecosystems and how things are connected to other things and every time he as a researcher a quantum physicist tried to find the answer he just found more questions and so it's very interesting how one thing leads to other things so if you like that sort of thing that's an author i would suggest fritov capra and then just from a personal note every once in a while lily you find that book that you maybe just find in the bookstores you're wandering around i read a lot of fiction as well and this book, which actually is nonfiction, which has been made into a movie now, so most people probably already know it The Diving Bell and the Butterfly.
0: I saw the movie and read the book.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, when I discovered that book, I was so moved. I'll close by saying this I'll tie it to leadership. Here's a guy who ends up uh, tragically passing away, and he's not an author, he's not a poet he's not even famous, well, he's sort of famous, but when you pull your soul out in a book and you're authentic, you don't have to be Walt Whitman or Mark Twain. You could be this gentleman who's just talking real and speaking real, and people will relate to that. That's a leadership lesson. Don't try to be someone you're not. Be proud of who you are. Speak the truth, but speak real. That's just a book that if you've not read, folks, Hmm. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. I'd shut the podcast off right now and
0: No, not ours.
1: No, oh not yet. Sorry, not that No, no. not ours. We can shut our podcast. So, first well, just yeah, just I would say, run out and get the book right
0: though.
1: away. <laughs> yeah. It's a great book.
0: Thank you so much for that. Now, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be?
1: I already mentioned that I would have true teacher leadership and student leadership. But I would change the way kids learn. I think that our concept of school is born out of our curricula and standards, obviously, but the stuff that kids read and do, which are designed by adults for children, which seems a little backwards to me, really are still in large part, Lily, the way we learned and what we learned many, many years ago. We've made progress, no doubt about it, but we have a long way to go. So I think that I would change the way we teach kids in the curriculum to be more around authentic learning, mm-hmm. discovery learning. Mm-hmm. Somewhere we've lost our creativity and we don't value creativity the way I know we have in our past. We've become less personal in society and even in our schools. We're more top-down, more standards-based, more accountability. And somehow, now I'll tie it to my book, we're soulless. So I think that we've lost our soul. Mm-hmm. The system has lost its soul. And I think we need to get it back So I would change the way kids learn and what kids learn and the connectivity between learning experiences and make it much more authentic and real and meaningful and empowering to
0: children. I guess that's what I'd say. And I think that's very doable. You're speaking to my heart. Very
1: good. All right.
0: (laughs) My soul. (laughs) All right. There you go. There you go. All right. So we touched a little on this, you know, health and wellness. You have a lot of responsibilities, Dan. I do. You on a daily basis to set your mind?
1: I take time in the morning for myself to not think about my work without doing emails. And I meditate and I pray and I contemplate. So whatever it is to have a quiet moment, I think is important to me. And I would encourage others to find that space in their day. And that's a self-care issue, but I also think it makes you a better leader. It allows me to think big picture too. And then in my work, our school district is large. Uh, my school district is on the West Coast of Florida, we have over 100,000 students. We're the 28th largest school district in the country. My task, my job, is I oversee all data analysis, all assessment, strategic planning, those sort of decisions, and supporting, obviously, the school board and the superintendent in making those decisions. I feel responsibility for having that all run very, very smoothly and have it all mean something by the time the school year ends. And so the way I process that is to compartmentalize. Another thing I try to coach leaders to be able to do. I think I've done that well in my career. And that means I keep my focus right now on keeping the main thing, the main thing, right? As Covey taught us. So I focus on the one thing. I try to do it well. I try to tune out the other things. And then I focus on the next thing. And then the way that plays out in my personal life at the end of the day is once I come home from work, I shut it down. I do that fairly well, and we've all been there, and we've all had times where we don't do that as well as others and work on the weekends, but I didn't feel like that was making me a better principal and leader. I think it was just making me a more tired principal and leader. So when I come home, I hug my wife and pet the cat and make dinner and really wind down with my family and try to tune out work, and that's a self-care thing as
0: well. So You do that now. I do. Was that always easy?
1: No, because I was young. And I was ambitious. And I think now I'm older and wiser and still ambitious. Uh And I know now that the way I can do my work best is by empowering others, empowering a team, motivating, inspiring my team to do great work, Mm -hmm. focusing their work. I think those are all learned traits and Mm -hmm. we get better at that in time.
0: Yeah, it's a process. Okay. So if you were to go back in time, Dan, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
1: My advice would be to lead and not follow. And what I mean by that is be bold, trust your instincts. People are not interested in followers. Uh, We're all looking to be led, actually. I want to work for a dynamic leader in my organization. Mm -hmm. If I change and go to some other organization, I want to work for a dynamic leader, right? So we want to work for leaders who stand for something and who are leading us, not managers and not paper pushers, and not
0: micromanagers,
1: micromanagers, <laughs> and policy wonks, and you dot the I, cross the T. So I think that I would say to myself, lead, find an area that you feel passionate about, try something, don't be afraid to fail. Remember the Gandhi quote, right? Because they're going to ignore you, and they're going to laugh at you, but if you fight through it, you will win. Mm. And I've learned, and I didn't know when I was young, That when I trust my instincts and I am authentic and I work hard and people say, yeah, I can follow that guy. I can believe what he's saying, even if I'm not right. I've been wrong so many times. But something about that type of leadership that I've learned from the people I've worked for, I try to emulate. And Mm -hmm. that's what I would tell myself if I could talk to myself back in my 20s.
0: Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, again, I want to thank you. I just so admire you and, and folks like you who once again, are, are saying, you know what, this is my way of helping the industry. This is my way of interacting and getting to know other people and your own learning from other people and interviewing other people. I just think that's just a really a great model. And so I, I credit you for that. And well, thank you. But I would say to you that young people, and I don't mean young leaders, now I'm back to kids. Mm-hmm. The young people today are so optimistic and exhilarating and they're looking to change the world. And we need to embrace that. And Mm -hmm. so I think that when we think about young people, if we thought about empowering them and getting them involved in their communities, and I think we really could go to places that you and I haven't even envisioned yet. That's right. But the young people will embrace and take us to new and exciting places. So if we could just empower them and trust them to lead us and give them the guidance they need, we have a great, great future ahead
0: of us. That's right. They need us and we need them. Absolutely. Dan, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been such a great conversation.
1: I thank you for having me, and anything I could have offered today that helps others is great. And once again, Lily, I thank you for the work that you're doing.
0: You know, it's my heart. It's my you know <laughs> listen. That. We did it. <laughs> we we did, did
1: it. We got through it. No technical problems this time. <laughs> All
0: right. So, have a great evening.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, I'll be in touch at some point.
0: Okay. Bye, bye. Thanks, Lily.